0: at Center CUNY, and thank you for joining us in the uh, Penn World Voices New York Festival of International Literature. As New York's first International Writers Festival, Penn World Voices is an answer to American cultural insularity and an attempt to enrich and sustain the global dialogue. Each spring, the festival brings writers from all over the world to New York City to introduce American audiences to the finest international literature. So thank you all for joining. In case you have your cell phone, just uh, please double check if it's, I'll do the same if it's on, off. And now I would like to introduce the moderator for the discussion, Rakesh Saital, Writing Sex and Sexuality. Thank you.
1: I was gonna get up there at the lectern, but I'll just do it sitting down. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the 2008 Penn World Voices Festival. I'm Rakesh Saitial and I'm very glad to welcome you to this evening's panel, Writing, Sex, and Sexuality. Um, I'd like to introduce you to all of our guests in a very multilingual bio slate here, so please forgive me. Uh, At the far right is Catherine Millet, or your far left is Catherine Millet. Catherine Millet is the author of the memoir, The Sexual Life of Catherine M. She is also an art critic, curator, and the founder and editor of the modern art magazine, Art Press, In 2005, she published Dali et Moi, the English translation of which is to be published by Scheidegger and Speis. She lives in Paris. To her left is Anya Sicking. Anya Sicking studied clarinet at the Royal Conservatory for Music and Dance. She went on tour several times with the symphony orchestra, the Ricciotti Ensemble, with which she played on the Red Square and in a Russian prison. She also played in numerous chamber music ensembles, for instance, in the Ebony Quartet and the Ensemble Contraint. Her first novel, Head Chorus Quartet, was awarded the Dutch Geerchen-Liberhudsen Prize for Best Debut in 2001. Her second novel, The Silent Sin, is nominated for the International Impact Dublin Literary Award 2008. To her left is Amanda Michalopoulou, I think I did that right, uh, who was born in Athens, Greece in 1966. She has had a daily newspaper column in Katamarini since 1990 and is the author of four novels, two short story collections, and a successful series of children's books. She has received the Rev Mata Award for her story, Life is Colorful Outside, and the Diovaso Award for her highly acclaimed novel, Yandes. Dalky Archive Press was awarded the NEA's International Literature Prize for translating her collection of stories, I'd Like, into English. Her most recent novel is Pisa Savra. She currently lives in Berlin. And immediately to my right is Yael Hedea, who was born in Jerusalem in 1964. She has worked as a screenwriter for the acclaimed Israeli TV drama series Betty Pool, which is known here as In Treatment, and currently airs on HBO. She is the author of Dramatis Personae, House Broken and Accidents, which was a finalist for the National Jewish Book Award in 2006. Her latest novel, Eden, will be published in 2008. She teaches creative writing at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. You will also notice here on stage an empty chair. This chair represents those artists around the world who have been robbed of their right to freedom of expression, who are prevented from practicing their craft openly or without fear of persecution, and who are unable to join us today. It is a reminder that the silencing of writers in one country robs the entire world of their voices. This particular chair is dedicated to one of our colleagues currently in prison in China. This year, Penn American Center is conducting an international campaign to win the release of more than three dozen writers and journalists in Chinese prisons before the Olympic Games open in Beijing, roughly 100 days from now. At this event, we remember Hu Jia, freelance reporter and blogger, civil rights, environmental, and AIDS activist, arrested December 27, 2007, at his home in Beijing on suspicion of, quote, inciting subversion of state power, end quote. Hu was officially charged on January 30, 2008, by the Beijing Municipal People's Procuratorate. And on March 7, 2008, his case was submitted to the prosecution, who stood trial on March 18, 2008. And on April 3, he was sentenced to three and a half years in prison and one year's detention, a deprivation of political rights. Excuse me. He is currently being held at the Beijing Municipal Detention Center at Daxing and Chaoyang District. Please join Penn's efforts to win the release of Hu Jia and all the writers and journalists currently in prison in China. Sign the petition at the Penn table outside of many festival events, including this one, and join Penn as a member to support all of our programs. You can also sign the petition and join Penn online at www.pen.org. Now, a few housekeeping things. Uh, as mentioned before, please turn off your cell phones, anything with an on or off switch, including talkative friends. And um, if you're seated farther from uh, the front uh, We can hear you talking here since this is a recital hall, so please keep that to a minimum if possible as well. And after the session, all of our writers will be available outside uh, to sign books for all of you. And now uh, to our session on sex and sexuality. Um, I'm very excited to have everybody here who's here for our panel today. I think all of us know that this is the topic that invites the most discussion, I think, and uh, will certainly be a lively one. So I'd like to begin today's discussion Uh, with each of our writers uh, discussing perhaps works of literature that were maybe seminal to you or important to you while growing up or throughout your career and especially now that maybe inform your idea of sex and sexuality, your own personal sexuality and especially how that might influence your work. Uh, So perhaps we can begin with you.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think the first book was, uh, it's it's banal to say it, but it was uh, Lady Chatterley's Lover, which I discovered by accident on... Uh, I was staying with my parents and somebody, one of their friends, an uh, mm-hmm. older woman uh, who had a house on the beach, and we were staying there for the weekend, and I had gone to take a nap or just, I don't, I don't even remember because it was so long ago, and I discovered the book on a shelf and started reading it um, just because it had the word lover in it, so I thought it must be pretty mm-hmm. cool. I, maybe I was 10 or 11, I think. <laughs> and. Um, <coughs> You know, my folks and this other woman were playing cards in the other room, and I started reading, and I just went straight to the uh, I don't want to say pornographic sections, because they're not. But, and that was uh, a thrill because I, I, I didn't know I had no idea what I was reading. I was very, very young, but I knew I shouldn't be reading it, and I just went on and on and reading it again and again and again, and I kept asking my parents, "Can we go there again for the weekend, you know <laughs> every week? We wanted to go there?) And they had no idea why I should be so interested in this elderly woman's house and, you know. So that, I guess, was the first book. And later on in, in uh, college, it was uh, Lolita, uh, which um, I think had more of an impact as me uh, on me, not as a sexual voyeur, but as a writer, because um, that's where sexuality and writing sort of came together for me and gave me um, inspiration. Mm-hmm. I know it's a problematic book to say, that it gave you inspiration,
1: but it did, mm-hmm. totally. That's to several people, I believe. Okay. Amanda? Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, I also discovered by accident a book at um, our, um, our book bookshelves. It was uh, Aphrodite, Aphrodite by Pierre Lois, and it was set uh, in ancient Greece, and Aphrodite was an uh, This is the public woman, so she was sexually very promiscuous, and I had the same feeling that I had to go back to um, to this book and read it, but uh, in a clandestine way. I shouldn't be seen reading the book like it was something bad for me to do. Although I realized afterwards that nobody knew what was happening in the book. (laughs) They just saw me reading a book. It was a very bad translation of the 60s, so I could feel it even like, I I think I was like 10 also. And I could feel the translation was bad, but what was happening was f- so different from things that happened in other books, and I wanted to go on. And then um, uh, when I seriously began reading um, literature for adults, I remember very well this, uh, the Portnoy novel. How is the title of Portnoy's Philip Roth? And this is the first time that I realized that sexuality can be full of humor too. Uh, So one of the first things I wrote about sexuality was a short story uh, which kind of imitated this feeling that I had in Philip Roth's uh, novel. And it was about um, a young child, Uh, she was eight years old and she discovered the porn of her father and how she felt about this and how funny it it was. It could be either dramatic or funny and I decided that it should be funny. The male genitals could be like ice cream to her. She couldn't understand what was happening. So I I really prefer this humor-like approach to to the subject.
4: Um, I think when I was younger, I um, liked very much uh, to read any book about sex. I mean, it wasn't very important when it was well-written or, you know, it was more the subject what interested me. Um, but later on, that really changed. Um, and now, when I uh, uh, read a book, uh, it's not so important where I, uh, what I read about, but more, you know, how it's written. And that's the thing what's interesting me now. So now, it's not so important whether there's, you know, whether a writer writes about sex or not. Mm. But um, in the Netherlands, we have um, Gerard Reve who is a very good writer, and, he, and also we have um, Jan Wolkers
5: mais ils ont morts récemment Moi, je n'ai, pas, je n'ai pas le souvenir de, de lecture qui euh, enfant euh, m'aurait euh, éveillé, fait découvrir la, la sexualité. Il me semble que, en fait, cette découverte de la sexualité, je l'ai faite beaucoup plus à travers le film, les films pornographiques qui circulaient à l'époque euh, qu'au travers des livres. I don't
6: remember anything that influenced my sexuality as a child. In fact, I don't really remember discovering my sexuality through books. I remember discovering it through films, rather, through pornographic films that were widely distributed in the 60s.
5: Et lorsque j'ai été euh, un peu plus âgée, euh, à la fin de, de l'adolescence, euh, au tout début de, de ma vie d'adulte, il me semble curieusement que les, les ouvrages qui ont eu le, le plus d'impact e uh, sur uh, sur moi au sens où un un livre pornographique peut avoir de l'impact ce sont en fait des livres de littérature ce sont soit des livres d'Alain robbe soit des livres de Pierre Gyotta
6: I remember as I grew older towards the end of my teenage years that um, the books that most struck me the books that had the strongest impact on my sexuality were uh, very literary works by,
5: uh, in particular, by Alain Robb-Grillet and Pierre And <laughs> I think Alain Robb-Griot, if
6: I told this to Alain Robb-Grillet, he would have found this very funny. If I had told this to Pierre Guillotta,
5: I think it would have been, made him very upset. <laughs> Mais lorsque, lorsque moi, alors, euh, je me suis mise euh, au travail sur, euh, sur la vie sexuelle de Catherine M., euh, j'avais néanmoins un modèle. Et ce modèle, je le connaissais déjà, mais il m'avait été euh, conseillé en plus par mon éditeur Denis Roche. Et ce modèle, c'est un livre anglais qui est, je crois, assez connu, dont la, l'auteur est un My secret life ».
6: And in fact, when I started re- working on my book, *The Sexual Life of Catherine M.*, um, I had a book in mind as a model um, that I remembered for having read it. But my editor at Le Seuil, my French editor Denis Roche, also recommended it to me. And
5: it's a book that's
6: anonymous and that's called *My Secret Life*.
5: Et uh, je me souviens que Denis Roche m'avait uh, recommandé ce livre et il m'avait dit, il faut que tu fasses la même chose. Il faut être très factuel. Mm-hmm. I remember my editor, Denis Roche, told me, you have to
6: do the same thing. You have to deal with just facts. (laughs)
1: Um, That's an interesting point about media besides books. What what influences people? And I think as time goes on, for younger readers especially, we often look to other forms of media to influence what we think, especially on the internet. could you maybe talk a little bit about, maybe each of you, about what other forms of media you think are maybe eclipsing the book in, in the way we think about sex, or you know, if do you think, think books are more important? Do you think that they're you know, decreasing in importance to people, or how you view that, perhaps? I mean, yeah, since you're working kind of in a, in a medium where you're doing both words on the page and then words on screen, I guess that also speaks to you.
2: Um, well, I, I think that unfortunately books are becoming less and less influential on uh, young people uh, because people read less and less, especially children. So um, if I try to imagine in the future how my children's sexuality will be formed, I don't think it's going to be through books. And um, I, I really hope it's not going to be through the Internet because I think the Internet is a very dangerous place. and. Um, I think TV has a very, very big influence um, on sexuality, um, and uh, I, you know I could see that my, my children, who are only eight, uh, watch these, um, these, these, these soap operas um, with, you know, it's very innocent because it says children under 14 cannot cannot watch, and, and they're very excited that they're watching it. <laughs> it's like this big deal. And and the only thing that's really going on there is kissing, but you know, heavy kissing. Mm-hmm. So they don't understand this yet. But but I think that um, TV is going to play the major role in how sexuality will be formed mm-hmm. for a certain generation. And um, in a way, it's 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 disappointing to me because I still remember the thrill of of you know visualizing,
7: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> having to invent. And not understanding half of what I was reading, where everything is really out there now. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if I had to choose between TV and the internet, I find TV safer.
7: Mm-hmm.
2: It's not as sneaky, and there aren't that many uh, perverts lurking behind the screen. It's mm-hmm. just you know, bad shows. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I think, Amanda, since you, mm-hmm. your writing often goes through various genres, do you see a kind of similar? Movement than in media, where they try different ways of getting to people. That maybe you try in your own work. That maybe poetry works better for something. That maybe certain sexual impulses people have are better seen through TV or seen on the page. Are there are different things that speak to you in those media.
3: I don't know. I think this is a very difficult question to answer. And we always talk about things in a theoretical level. And um, of course, there are out there all these magazines with a woman uh, on the cover and the television and everything but I I really don't believe in the eclipse of the books and Mm -hmm. of the ways to talk about sexuality through the books and there it can be in so many ways it can be explicit if the form and the story needs us to be explicit about sexuality it can be very implicit also, Uh, there are so many ways to talk about sex as many ways as there is to talk about everything in books Mm -hmm. so um, the way you, you visualize is so, so free, there are so many ways to make interpretation of what you read. And I believe in this, perhaps I'm very romantic to believe still in this, mm-hmm. but, uh, and I, I don't want to compare it with the media and with um, the, the movies, and it's a completely different form of um, um, expressing inner life and facts and everything, and I hope it remains mm-hmm. the same.
1: Nanya, I know you have children as well, uh, do you, uh, how do you view that as well? Do you think that they are also kind of having an overload of, of media and that perhaps books are not serving the same purpose, or do you make a concerted effort to make them have the same purpose, or how do you approach that?
4: Well, um, my children, they're three and five years old, so… <laughs> <laughs> they're very precocious, perhaps, and <laughs> they yeah. uh, um well, of course, I hope you will read books because there are many things you can find in books, which you, wi- you know, like the inner world and what what people are experiencing when they are having sex.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: What you cannot f- find it on the internet and you and you can't see it on TV, because um, in a book, um, well I think writing is is a lot about the inner world. Mm-hmm. So for this reason, I think I hope that people will always read about mm-hmm. this subject. Mm-hmm.
1: Catherine, do you think that I, I know there are very memorable passages in your memoir that focus on dialogue, and and there's so much dialogue in there. I mean, do you also think that, you know, do you see comparable dialogue in other media that you find equally admirable, or do you think that the books do that purpose differently, or how does that affect you?
5: Alors, d- déjà, j'aimerais euh, répondre à votre euh, question du du départ. De, 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 de la littérature par enfin, de la concurrence que font les nouveaux médias par rapport à la littérature. Moi je pense que ces nouveaux médias, euh, ils, euh, ils ont tué, ou plus, plus ou moins tué, euh, ce qu'on appelait auparavant, euh, la littérature érotique. Mm-hmm. I'd first like to answer your first
6: question about uh, the competition between literature and new media. And I think that new media in a way has killed what one calls erotic literature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Les euh, oui, les dialogues dans votre
5: livre, En fait, c'est très curieux que vous me posiez cette question à propos des dialogues, parce que je vais à nouveau parler de mon éditeur euh, en France. Euh, lorsque je lui ai remis les premières pages euh, pour lui soumettre. Il avait la mauvaise habitude d'ouvrir uh, le manuscrit au hasard.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> In fact, it's very
6: odd that you asked me this question because again, my French editor, Denis Roche, when I first handed him
5: my manuscript, he had the very bad habit of opening it at random. <laughs> Et par hasard, il est tombé sur ces pages de dialogue extrêmement <laughs> And randomly, he fell on these very obscene lines of dialogue. Et il a passé toute la nuit à se dire, comment je vais lui dire que je ne peux pas publier ce livre. <laughs> and he spent the whole night thinking,
6: how am I going to tell her that I can't publish this book? Pour moi, j'ai
5: considéré ces dialogues euh, comme du ready-made. I,
7: euh,
5: I consider these dialogues as a ready-made. Ce sont des, des tranches de, de, de dialogues comme si je les avais enregistrés. There were slices of dialogues as if
6: I had recorded them and transcribed them into the book. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think um, one interesting thing about that passage I remember, and this leads to my next question, is the the issues—many of you write about male characters uh, very convincingly, and their sexuality very convincingly. uh, I think that's an extremely difficult thing to do is to put yourself very fully in the role of somebody of a different gender and capture what he is thinking in this case. Um, and I guess, Anya, in particular, I'm thinking of, of your novel, The Silent Sin, which is recounted by a woman who is working for a composer um, who, whom we don't know at the beginning is, is gay, but whom she f- finds out later in the, in the novel is. And, but it's very convincingly rendered as to how she views his sexuality and how he might view it, and it's all very you know, accurately rendered. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how you approached that in that particular novel or maybe some of your other work.
4: Well, one of the um, interesting things about writing is that you you can be, something, be someone in your book who you cannot be in your real life. So um, I think uh, a writer should always be able to put himself in the shoes of, of the characters he writes about, whether it's a man or a woman, it's not so important. Um, if you want to write about a man, you really should try to imagine what what a man is experiencing. You know, there's a um, I think it was um, Dostoevsky, but I'm not sure, uh, who who once said that um, if you uh, write about a man who is giving another man um, a hit with a hammer, you should um, describe. Um, what the man is experiencing, who's giving a hit, but also the, what the man feels, who's getting it, and I think if you write about a man and a woman, for example, having sex, it, it should be the same.
7: Mm-hmm. You
4: should really try to imagine what both are feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know in in accidents, for example, there is you're writing about a kind of widowed, a widower who's living with his younger daughter, and and. His scenes I found extremely poignant because of both the age question and, then the, and the gender question. Um, do you find the same thing? Because often your, your books will m- mold the prose to the dialogue happening and you're going through the interior monologues of these characters. Do you think that that's a, you know, an, a similar sort of thing that you go through where you're trying to do everything, try to capture all these feelings at once, or do you do it separately? Or
2: um, I don't really know how I do it, but I, I, I don't devote a lot of thought to it. But I think it's very interesting... It was a challenge for me to try and describe uh, sexuality from the point of view of a man, especially a middle-aged man. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the biggest compliments that I got was from a young student of mine, a male student, uh, who read the book, and he came over to me and said, "You know, I really liked your book, and and you know, I have a question." And he started blushing, and he and he was feeling very embarrassed. And he said, "How?" And I knew what scene he was referring to. He was referring to a particular, very, very (laughs) intimate scene um, where the man is, is alone in the shower. <laughs> and um, I have that highlighted very <laughs> extensively in my copy of that book. <laughs> I'm sure you do, that be. And he said, how do you, and I knew, I just let him, I was torturing him. He said, how do you know? <laughs> I said, was I, was I right? And he mm. said, yeah, but how do you know?
1: Well, do you no. think, I mean, do you, do you, did your personal experiences maybe influence, or did you talk to people outright about it, or is it something that you just kind of... I didn't do research, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> research, right. Um, but, uh, but, um, but, I mean, Catherine, I think maybe some people might think of much of what was in your book, since it was a memoir, maybe confusing the idea of research and what was actually happening to you and what you had to go out and learn about other people before you could talk about yourself. Um, do you I mean how exactly when you were going about writing your book did you think about other people did you think about what their impressions were or was it something that was happening more organically for you
5: uh, si, si je, si, uh, je pense que si on devait imaginer uh, la réaction de, des lecteurs éventuels on n'écrirait pas uh, I, I
6: think if one was to imagine what readers' reactions might be, one wouldn't write.
5: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think
6: it would be very inhibitive to try to speculate on possible readers' reactions.
1: Mm-hmm. And Amanda, do you uh, do you also think about those concerns of sort of the very? I mean. For example, in I'd Like, you have so many different perspectives of people going there, and many of the characters are men. Uh, there's a very spectacular scene where a kind of famous writer falls down in the bathroom, and a female character has to come kind of help him up. And there's this whole idea of his sexuality being sort of compromised in this position that he's in, um, but then also that he's a man and, and she's a woman and how she reacts to it. I mean, is that, is that something you think about often in terms of you know, what their, their backgrounds are and, and what their sexes are while that's happening?
3: Uh, well, I have to say before that, that w- my first job when I became a journalist was to translate um, a column of um, Dr. Ruth, she was called. Mm-hmm. Sex-
1: <laughs> <laughs> She's still called that, actually. Okay. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: did that for uh, about uh, six months. I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it now. With this, uh, For years, it didn't come to my mind. And then I thought, this is how I began. Mm-hmm. Translating letters of people who were very serious uh, about problems that could be also humoristically resolved. And uh, this um, language that was used in these kind of letters was very rhetorical, so very very strange for me. And um, I think in the novels, in the books, in fiction, uh, one shouldn't go and to this kind of rhetorics and should uh, go with the form of the story, with the structure of the story, with a hero how the hero would be or would feel about his sexual mm-hmm. life if he is embarrassed? Uh, I guess the writers would show this embarrassment if he's is uh, promiscuous in any ways. We should talk like that. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, in this short story you are mentioning, he's an old man. He has this accident. He doesn't have. Um, uh, he doesn't wear anything, and he feels very fragile in mm-hmm. this position. I had to, to describe this. Uh, even from the perspective of the woman who is finding the right. But there is, for instance, another story in this book where we have to do with the sexual fantasies of Mm women. And um, even this word, fantasies, I don't like it. And if we're going, for instance, to talk about fantasies, describing the fantasies, this is almost rhetoric. So my way... To deal with this, was to describe all these fantasies as, as things that really happened. And only in the end we realized that what we've read was fantasies, and she wasn't like that at all. She was imagining things. Um, so, uh, this is the way, I think, not to to go with a character, to go with a story.
1: Mm-hmm. I have to switch gears a little bit. I think the idea from the American perspective is often that if you're non American, or especially European, that you have a kind of freer idea of sexuality and that it's something that is you know, more a framework of that culture and that you know, you're more accepting of it and so it's not as big of a deal, whereas here everything is hyperbolized beyond belief and it becomes a whole other issue. Do you, what are your reactions to American mores of sexuality? How do you, how do you think about that? What do you, as a collective, what do you think of America and the way that it views sexuality, especially in its literature? Um, I know, Amanda, since you, you I live in Berlin now, I believe, so you have kind of both the Greek perspective and the German perspective and the other European perspective, but is that, you know, how do you, how do you view that for us exactly?
3: I really can't think in terms of nationality, I think these are uh, human issues, and uh, of course it has to do with the culture you live in, Um, but I wouldn't compare it, American and European. I mean, what happens in the sexual life? Happens in the bedroom. Happens inside us. Uh, is hidden, so we don't know. We just imagine. Mm-hmm. And um, even when some societies are very explicit about this, and you can see it in the movies or in the magazines, or um, I have a feeling that it could be just the opposite. Mm-hmm. And when you talk so much about these things, you don't really practice them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, any of you share that view as well? or?
4: Um, well, the cliché is, of course, that um, Americans are a little bit more uh, prudish than, let's say, the uh, yeah. European and especially the, the um, people from the Netherlands. But I really don't know whether that's true. I mean, it's my first time in the United States, <laughs> and, well, yeah, I didn't have any uh, conversation with someone... Um, about it yet so i mean i cannot say it from my own experience <laughs> this is just the
1: beginning of the weekend so by the end yeah, of the weekend, yeah Friday, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and kathleen do you i mean what has your view been on that i guess so much of what happens in your memoir is so french you know people always i think <laughs> i'm sure you got that i'm sure you got that from a publicity standpoint is oh well it's french and so it's very you know must be very l- l- loush and, and just completely crazy you know mm-hmm.
5: see si. C'est un livre très français, mais qui a été traduit dans de très nombreuses langues. <laughs>
6: it's a very French book, but a book that has been translated in many, many languages.
5: Moi, je pense, en effet, qu'il ne faut pas se laisser prendre par ces stéréotypes, ces clichés, selon les nationalités.
6: I think, indeed, one shouldn't be had with these clichés about nationalities and uh,
5: borders. Un un, un de ces clichés veut qu'en effet, dans les cultures catholiques, on soit finalement plus libre euh, que dans les cultures plus protestantes. Moi, mon expérience, c'est que euh, justement, euh, lorsque le livre a été traduit euh, en anglais et diffusé aux États-Unis, autour de moi, on m'a dit « Oh là là, euh, euh, tu vas vas te faire esquinter euh, en Amérique ».
6: One of these clichés is that uh, in Catholic cultures, people are a, lo- a lot more open-minded than in Protestant cultures, which are a lot more rigid. And when my book came out here and in, uh, and in England, people started telling me, oh my God, you're going to be trashed. It's going to be, it's going to be terrible for you.
5: Et en fait, je crois que le livre a pas si mal marché aux Etats-Unis et beaucoup moins bien en Italy. And in the end, I think the
6: book didn't work so badly in the US, and in fact, it worked much less well in Italy.
1: <laughs> and yeah, with you, for example, within treatment, it's going from being an Israeli show to being an American show. Did you see some of those creep into the discussion, creative discussion about it, or, or how it was written?
2: Uh, no, I, I wasn't involved in the process mm-hmm. uh, when it was uh, adapted to the. Um, American version mm-hmm. um, so I'm not really mm-hmm. I, I know that there was there was some review I read somewhere I don't know in one of the newspapers that said that there's still some Israeliness coming across uh, <laughs> with the characters because even though the setting is very American and the office his office Paul's office is really like something out of a Ralph Lauren magazine <laughs> uh, shop and that the the, the characters are so uh, full of chutzpah and they're so forward with the way they're behaving with Uh him that it, you know, so you know, just to say one more thing about what you asked before I I really can't say that Americans are more prudish than than Mm -hmm. Israelis for instance. I think it's really relative Mm -hmm. because I get all kinds of reactions to my books and sometimes a certain generation of of, um, you know, women or men can't handle the explicit uh sexual language. Mm-hmm. And I get letters, you know, from fans, women, men who've written and say this is great and we liked it and this and that. But why did you have to use the F word mm-hmm. so many times? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they so you know
1: are there things that uh, we commented earlier, we're not really sure why it ended up being four women writers having this conversation, and especially why it ended up being a flamboyant male who's the interlocutor between them, the two of them,
7: but, um, but
1: are there things that, um, that uh, you know, male writers do where they get things wrong about female sexuality that, that bother you, that, that you think that isn't the way a woman thinks, that isn't the way a woman would behave, are there, and, and maybe there are women who do that as well, you think that maybe they get things wrong, do you ever, do you ever find that in when you're reading or when you're writing?
4: Um, well, I can say in general, when uh, men write about women, it's sometimes they exaggerate a little bit, it's like um, a transvestite, you know, it's a little bit too much, but that, for the rest, I don't know,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and maybe women don't do the same, I don't know that.
1: Mm-hmm. Amanda, anything yeah. that you know because there are again there's so many different perspectives in what you write, so many different viewpoints that people have or there did you ever get called out on one, or do you see other people doing things that would ruffle your feathers in some respect?
3: actually, this is a very interesting question. I really never thought about mm. it uh, I guess in Greece, for instance, and in the South in general, there are these um, uh, stereotypes uh, of men writing about going uh, out in bars and meeting women. And it's a very male perspective, very macho perspective. I think we suffer from this, especially in Greece and Italy. Mm. Um, And this is why it's very difficult for me to read uh, contemporary South European uh, uh, literature sometimes. Uh, In the past it wasn't like that. It was Mm -hmm. like people understood more about sexuality. And um, I guess it has to do also with the quality of the writer and of the text. If you have a good writer, this is why I mention Roth, who I Mm -hmm. really like, um, you can describe uh, the sexual life of a man or of a woman, he has done both. Mm -hmm. Uh, If I think of other Americans, uh, Paul Auster, for instance, Mm -hmm. uh, contemporary. well, I, I can't remember of names, but, mm-hmm. but I, I know there are good and bad writers who, who write about sexual life in, and feel um, f- feel very nice with mm-hmm. describing it, or they have problems, or um, they cannot express their own sexuality through the book.
7: Mm-hmm.
3: So it doesn't have to do with if you are explicit about something or implicit, and you are not prudish if, if you don't write, if you hide things. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it has to remain on the shade in this particular story.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll do. Or, yeah, I'll look at the other of you.
2: Well, I, I, you know, it's also, like Amanda, I think it's an interesting question. I haven't given much thought mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, people would say women are better at describing females than males are, but I'm not so sure. And if, if I had to really give it some thought, I think that maybe sometimes male writers, even the best of them, tend to over-romanticize the way women feel about sex
7: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, you know there's some some brutal truths that they sometimes mm-hmm. don't face up to mm-hmm. um that's
7: <laughs> such <right>. as <laughs> not going there not going there that won't be the soundbite from this, this time. panel this is a later panel the midnight <laughs> right panel right right the after the
1: cocktails um yeah it's good <laughs>
5: Est-ce que, je, est-ce que je peux ajouter quelque chose sur ce, enfin un commentaire sur le fait que nous ne soyons en effet que, que des femmes ici mm-hmm. sur le...
6: I'd like to add a comment about the fact that we're indeed only women on this panel.
5: Moi, je pense que c'est un fait qui est très très significatif et que je crois qu'enfin, qu'en, contrairement à, à ce qui vient d'être dit, je pense que ce sont surtout les femmes aujourd'hui qui ont quelque chose à dire à propos de la sexualité.
6: I think it's very significant that we're only women on this panel and uh, and I believe that in fact it is women nowadays that have mostly something to say about sexuality.
5: Ça, pour je crois deux raisons, c'est que elles prennent la parole aujourd'hui d'une manière euh, plus ample que qu'auparavant. For
6: two reasons, the first one being that women speak up uh, more freely and more
5: broadly than they ever did before. Et puis je crois en effet que ce sont elles qui ont par rapport à la question de la sexualité euh, une distance que n'ont pas les hommes.
6: And the second reason is that I believe that women have a sort of distance towards sexuality that women that men cannot
5: have. Et c'est ce que j'entends par la distance, c'est quelque chose par exemple qui apparaît dans dans les écrits de Sade euh, le, l'enseignement euh, de de la sexualité, la transmission de la mémoire sur les choses du sexe, se font toujours par les femmes chez Sade. And what I mean by distance is something
6: that um, in Sade um, the French writer Saad, uh, "the the sort of the learning the way one learns sexuality, this transmission
5: of memory, this transmission of learning always goes through women." C'est dans romans appelle les That's what Sad in his novels called the the his the women historians. Et, et je pense que c'est, c'est aujourd'hui, il y a beaucoup de, de ces historiennes. Elles sont pas aussi cruelles que celles de Sade. Et notamment en France, euh, moi, je, je voudrais témoigner d'une, d'une gén... enfin, de plusieurs générations d'auteurs françaises qui, malheureusement, ne sont pas toutes traduites en anglais, comme Christine Angot, comme Annie Arnaud, comme Virginie Despentes, toutes abordent les questions de la sexualité d'une manière vraiment spécifique. And
6: um, I'd like to, to test, I think it's particularly relevant in France nowadays, and, uh, and I'd like to testify for some of the women writers, contemporary women writers in France who are not unfortunately not all translated into English. I'm thinking in particular of Annie Arnaud, Christine Angot, Virginie Despentes, um, who ont une particularly keen way de talking about this de
5: Et on a aussi des cinéastes qui, qui sont très bonnes et qui montrent aussi la sexualité, comme Catherine Bria. Il y a aussi des
6: films, des films comme Catherine Bria, qui montrent la sexualité
5: Et je pense que, voilà, je pense que ça, je suis désolée, je ne suis pas spécialement féministe, mm-hmm. mais, <laughs> mais je pense que euh, les femmes ont un travail à faire en ce moment euh, de. Voilà, de, de description mm-hmm. de, de la mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself a feminist,
6: but I do think that women now have work to do in this regard, and they have to, they have a, a sort of work of description. They have to describe sexuality.
1: Do you feel that's an interesting word to use? Then, do you feel this sort of sometimes obligation almost foisted upon you to be feminist, to use your, especially if you're writing about sexuality, for it to be progressive, for it to be transgressive, progressive, and and use your status as a female writer to to put that forward? Is that some pressure that you feel from time to time, or any of you? (laughs) (laughs) Um,
4: No, I don't.
1: Mm -hmm.
4: I think
2: uh, art should uh, supersede above these differences. Mm -hmm. I'd like to say something about the fact that there are no uh, male writers on the panel. Mm. I actually find this very, very upsetting. And <laughs> no, I mean, it would be fun to have a guy here. Right? It'd probably be. <laughs> I agree. No, <laughs> no I <I'm laughs> mean a guy. <laughs> no. A guy on the panel, you know, not. <laughs> right,
6: right. Um.
2: And no, but because I think that you know it sounds really feministic that there mm-hmm. are only women on the panel. But in my opinion, it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Here we are again in the ghetto of mm-hmm. all women writers, and it's upsetting because you know had there been a panel of uh, neurosurgery today, you'd mm-hmm. see a lot of guys. And I think that that in a way, um, giving women uh, credit for being better writers on sexuality and all these sensitive girlish issues is, is, is giving males uh, actually the power of, okay, we write about war and politics and you write about uh, the home and sexuality and feelings. So, personally, I resent there being no male participant on uh, the <laughs>
1: I didn't organize the panels. Je suis la personne qui a organisé cette conversation. Well, I'd like to sort of wrap our end of the conversation up there, but would love to um, open up to questions uh, from the audience. Uh, I think Dave, if you can get to the microphone to ask your question, that's best, I guess, but otherwise you can shout your, your question out to us and we'll answer it accordingly. So.
6: Um, I was just wondering, what do you decide
3: not to include in your books, in your writing about sex, when it's something that's just inappropriate
6: for you to reveal personally or for someone that's just, it's not mm-hmm. their business. Mm-hmm. I didn't hear very well. Could, I'm Can sorry, you know? could
1: you repeat the question for them? So they could, oh, the question
6: sorry. is kind of, what, what, what would you reveal and what would you decide not to reveal? Because it's too personal.
3: Mm. Um, I guess it's not personal. In a way, it's not uh, uh, autobiographical. I'm not talking for Catherine, which is a different um, kind of uh, non-fiction. But uh, when I'm involved, for instance, with a hero and with the personal life of a hero, I don't feel embarrassed about it. I have to talk uh, about his or her life. And if his or her sexuality is uh, involved, then I talk about that too. And I, I repeat, I will talk and I will try to talk the way he or she would talk. Um, if they are prudish, I wouldn't mention it. If, if there is a sexual uh, act, for instance, perhaps I would—I wouldn't describe it at all. I would go straight to the end and have a dialogue. I don't know. It depends so much on the people you you want to describe and the feelings you want to talk about. Um, that's how I feel.
1: Mm-hmm. But I guess there, that is an interesting question because almost when you're writing about sex or sexuality in a book, there's a sometimes implicit understanding, theoretical understanding from the audience that you're writing about something personal to you, something that happened to you. Is that something that you have to think about sometimes? I mean, obviously, Kathleen, when, when you're writing a memoir, that is, you know, people are assuming these are things happening to you, but when you fictionalize these things, is that a, you know, do you have to decide what you're going to put in there sometimes because it reflects on you as the, the person creating this work? perhaps? I mean, Anya as well, I mean, when you're dealing, since you're, you have a female character who's recounting these things, I mean, is that, is that something you think about, or is that, you know?
4: Um, I don't understand the I,
1: I mean, I mean, in the sense that when you're, since you're writing from your perspective and you're trying to decide what to include in your book, I mean, are you including feelings that, since you're giving an idea again of what a man is thinking, or what's happening mm-hmm. to a man, is that, do you have to decide what you include because it's your perception of that sexuality, or is it something that you do for that character, or is that that difference?
4: Yeah, I think I would never write about uh, my own sexual experience in a a direct way um, because, uh, well, that's my private life and, um, well, I don't feel the need for it. I mean, I'm not against it, but I I just will never do it. Um, But, of course, when I write about this uh, homosexual man, um, yeah, uh, there are some of my own experience in it, but they transformed
7: mm-hmm.
4: and in that way I can write about it yeah mm-hmm.
5: oh, can mm-hmm. i no j enfin j j'aimerais répondre parce que c'est forcément quand même une question qui me qui me concerne parce que c'est finalement la la question de l'autocensure I'd like to answer
6: because I feel very concerned by this question it's the question of self censorship
5: mm-hmm. et mm, en fait c'était Pour moi personnellement, puisqu'il s'agit de, d'un récit autobiographique euh, inscrit dans mon projet même de laisser le moins poss- possible de choses de côté, de censurer le le moins possible. And for me, inscribed at the very heart
6: of my project, since it was purely autobiographical, one of my for one of my mission statements was to leave aside as little as
5: possible. Um, J'ai souvent j'ai souvent raconté que au début de mon travail, j'ai par exemple pris conscience d'une chose, c'est que ma mémoire assurait c'est que lorsque j'essayais de retrouver des souvenirs, il y avait un tri qui avait été fait par euh, par la mémoire et qu'il fallait que je relise que je revienne sur ce que j'avais déjà écrit pour euh, éliminer cette euh, ma propre censure.
6: When I started writing I discovered that in fact my memory had censored me against my will, that as I was trying to look back and recapture some of what had happened, I had blocked some memories, Um, and I had to go back to look at what I had written before, earlier, during when that had happened, to recapture those moments, because in a way, my mind was selecting les mémoires que j'ai voulu garder.
5: La seule chose à laquelle j'ai été attentive, évidemment, c'est par rapport aux autres, par rapport à ceux qui avaient été mes partenaires. C'est-à-dire que j'ai utilisé à ce moment-là euh, des moyens qui sont ceux de la fiction pour euh, maquiller des noms, maquiller des lieux, pour que les gens ne soient pas reconnus, qu'il y ait le, le respect des personnes. Quoique, certains à qui j'avais posé la question, est-ce que tu es d'accord pour... Euh, Figurés d'une certaine façon dans le livre, s'ils m'ont répondu oui, ils y apparaissent comme tels. Of course, the only thing that I censored, being
6: sensitive to the people that were involved, to the people that had been my partners, I, um, I d- disguised some places and some n- names. Um, I used the trick of any fiction writer. Um, but in fact, that's not entirely true because I asked some people if uh, they would mind, I asked for their permission to include them, and those who agreed, I, um, I included their names and the real places in the book.
3: Can I can sure. I just say uh, about what Katrin said now that I guess um, the fiction writer's procedure is the opposite. So you write fiction and you try to make it uh, like nonfiction, not like something that really happened, and this creates some problems of understanding, and these problems of understanding create this kind of questions. I mean. When we write fiction, is it our real life? This is something it doesn't have with sexuality, with all the subjects we treat. We have to, to answer to this question, is it real, in a way, what you write? And I remember, for instance, in my first novel, I had some uh, homosexuals, um, heroes. And um, there was constantly this question, if I am homosexual or not, talking so much about homosexual um, um, sexuality. And uh, sometimes I felt threatened by these questions, that they were very personal, and that uh, made me feel that people assume that whatever I write is real and is happening to me. For instance, in this book there was a sister and a brother. And as I was writing like the sister, I, the I, they all asked me if I have a brother in real life.
7: Mm -hmm.
1: Next question. Yes, please. Um,
3: this is for everybody but, Katrine, uh with all the work that you've done and the subject matter of the memoir, why would you reject the feminist label? And then also what does that association for the rest of you have of being called a feminist or you said
6: something about anti-feministic? Mm-hmm.
1: So asking wh- why might you reject the feminist label or how you would react to that?
5: Non, quand quand j'ai, j'ai dit tout à l'heure que j'avais, je n'avais jamais été féministe, c'est-à-dire que je n'ai jamais adhéré euh, à un mouvement euh, féministe et que je crois que de toute façon, je ne partage pas euh, tellement les, les positions de ce qu'on appelle, je ne sais pas ici aux États-Unis, mais ce qu'on appelle le féminisme historique.
6: When I said that I rejected uh, the, the feminist label earlier, what I meant was that I never belonged to the feminist movement, and uh, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but in France, I never—I was never part of this group of this consortium, and um, and I was never, in fact, it, I never belonged to what we call historical feminism.
5: Je crois que y a aujourd'hui. Ce qu'on appelle aussi un néo-féminisme, souvent qui rassemble d'ailleurs des des femmes beaucoup plus jeunes que moi et et dont je me sens finalement beaucoup plus proche et et dont on parle parfois aussi en disant que c'est le féminisme pro-sexe. There there is now a new movement um, which
6: one calls the new feminism and uh, in which women are much younger than I am. But in fact, I recognize myself a lot more uh, in that new generation of feminists. And uh, they say that this new um, feminism is in fact pro-sex.
5: Oui, on parle même, c'est une expression, le féminisme (laughs) pro-sex. It's actually an expression, the pro-sex feminism. Ce qui qui suppose que le le féminisme historique était peut-être sex Which makes one wonder whether the old feminism was (laughs) anti-sex. Mais, euh, en fait, ce ce livre m'a... Je n'ai donc jamais, comme je l'ai dit, été euh, féministe. Et curieusement, ce livre euh, m'a rapproché beaucoup des femmes. Du public féminin, pardon.
6: Mm-hmm. As I said, I was never a feminist, but uh, strangely, writing this book brought me a lot clo- closer to women and to the feminine audience in general. Et je crois qu'en fait, ce livre m'a rendu un peu féministe. I think in the end, perhaps this book has made me a little bit of a feminist.
7: Mm-hmm.
1: Any of you, other, you, other of you want to address that as well, perhaps again? or <laughs> Yes, please.
0: I'm the man who wants to be on that panel, (laughs) (laughs) one day. (laughs) And I would like to thank Catherine Millay, because reading your book was such a revelation to me. Uh, It actually started me on my own writing project. Hopefully, what I have to write about will be as interesting as what you write about one day. (laughs) Um, But what I'm interested in is, I think what Catherine Millay, what you did, was so new in the world. I don't, can't think of any other memoir that was written so aesthetically beautiful and re- magical renderings of sex. Um, and I'm just wondering what you think the effect of that might be on humanity in terms of how can that kind of narrative enrich our experience of sexuality? And providing perhaps some sort of curriculum that people can go to this and and you know men and women can begin having better sex more intense because of your of your of your work
5: je vous remercie compliments J'ai quand même pas l'ambition de transformer la sexualité de l'humanité. I thank you very much for
6: these compliments. I don't have as an ambition to change the world's sexuality.
5: Um, et, et surtout je, je pense que je, j'ai pas voulu être un modèle et je pense qu'on n'a pas besoin de modèle. c'est vraiment s'il y a un domaine où on n'a pas besoin de modèle, c'est vraiment celui-là. And I, I wasn't trying to be a model. I wasn't trying to set a
6: path. I, do, I think if there's one thing in the world where one doesn't need models it's this
5: one enfin je, je, je pense que si, uh, si ce livre en effet et, 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 et joue un rôle uh, ce sera celui de, de montrer qu'on peut parler de, de, de uh, dans un certain type de, avec un certain type de, de langage, um, um, this book serves any purpose,
6: I think it will be to show that one can talk about sexuality in a certain language.
5: qu'on um, peut écrire des livres entièrement consacrés au sexe et qui circulent en livres de poche et que les gens lisent ça dans le métro,
6: that one can write books that are entirely devoted to sex and yet that are published in paperback and that one can see people reading in the subway.
5: Je pense que uh, on, moi bien sûr je suis uh, je suis aussi contre les ghettos. Uh, je suis contre les ghettos dans lesquels uh, on met par exemple uh, des, les, les femmes. Je suis aussi contre les ghettos dans lesquels on range uh, la production uh, pornographique ou érotique. I'm against
6: ghettos in general and of course I'm against a ghetto in which um, one can put women but I'm also against a ghetto um, in which one can fold a, érotiques productions, productions de littérature ou other works.
5: Et je crois que ce qu'il faut euh, espérer de plus en plus avec euh, quand même l'évolution des, des mœurs dans nos sociétés, euh, c'est que lorsqu'un film ou euh, un roman ou euh, n'importe quelle production artistique aborde la question du, du sexe, il soit aussi explicite en effet que moi j'ai été.
6: And I think if there's something to look forward to with uh, the evolution of, of, uh, of our thinking, with the evolution of society, is that works of, of literature and, and cinema, any artistic works, um, will be able to be as graphic as I have been in my book.
1: Next question. <laughs> I just have
6: a question about um, the experiences of having your the sexual parts of your novel translated into different languages, and whether there were certain passages in which you got amusement from in the translation to American or into a different language. Um, I couldn't hear the
5: question.
1: Oh yes, were there any sort of, what, as you saw your work translated perhaps into other languages, did you see a different approach uh, as to how people were translating that work or how it was changing over the course of that process?
4: <laughs> um, Yes, the, the translation is really, um, the especially the English translation really different differs from the Dutch book I wrote,
2: mm-hmm.
4: um, because some uh, yeah, some things are very difficult to translate, like the tone you use and humor and yeah, that's very, diff- that's very difficult. On, to on a sexual
1: level, do you think that maybe things were changed as well, or was it more just kind of linguistic well, for you? No, I mm-hmm. don't think
4: so, but. In my book, there are not so many explicit um, sex scenes, so... Mm -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Any of you, Amanda? I I
4: was very lucky to have an excellent translation
3: in English. Um, I know because I can judge the English translation. Um, And um, I I felt that the dialogues which are so important for these sexual passages, and I want to stress this out because it's not a book about sexuality. It's a book about family life, but there are certain fragments about sex. And um, this dialogue was very, very real and um, it felt like I would have written this in English if I could um, Mm -hmm. write in English. But of course, you don't have this feeling with other languages because you don't know other, you don't speak a lot of languages. Um, For instance, in German, sometimes I had some problems. Perhaps it has also with the feeling that German is more detached. It's a language that you cannot approach so well. Perhaps it's psychological also. With English, I feel always so close because, because of the music, because of the films, because of uh, the dialogue, which seems more natural, because we are so used to hearing the English language. So, so it's subjective. I don't know.
1: I guess that goes back in some respect to Lolita. Mentioning Lolita too, being a novel that was not written in a native language either. That there's something. To, I mean, do you think, for example, in that case, that there's something to English that. And, and, um, I believe it was, it was written in English, yes. So it was not, but it was not his first language. Yeah. So, so do, you, I mean, do you think that English does something different in some respect, that it, it can free it up somewhat or that the language has changed somewhat? I mean, maybe in, in your work, do you see, since you're saying that Israel and, and the United States are becoming more alike in some respect, do you see a different reaction to those two things?
2: Um, well, I think Hebrew has a problem with describing uh, sex scenes mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's uh, very young language, modern Hebrew, mm-hmm. I mean, not biblical Hebrew, and there, there just aren't enough words. Mm-hmm. So you have a very, very small selection, and either you're too uh, sluttish, mm-hmm. or you sound like uh, a gynecologist, mm-hmm. and there's really not much, there's no mid-range, mm-hmm. and it's really a challenge to describe uh, sex scene and be, so every time I get translated into English, it feels somewhat cleaner, I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> <laughs>
7: you
4: know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hi. Um, as sex is bodies moving in space, I'm wondering or curious as to what role the visual imagination uh, played
6: in your writing.
1: So, yes, a question about uh, what role visual imagination plays in, in your writing and how you
5: approach it. Yes. I think that our first organ is the eye. Je pense que, enfin, il y a différentes façons de, de, de le vérifier. D'abord que beaucoup de, de perversions sexuelles passent par, euh, par le regard. Uh, on n'imagine pas des perversions sexuelles qui passeraient par l'oreille. Moi, j'en connais pas. Peut-être y en a. <laughs> I, I, there are many
6: ways to, to to check this. I mean, one of the one of the ways are that uh, sexual perversions usually go through the way one what one sees. I can't quite imagine a sexual perversion going through hearing, going through the ear.
5: Et, et c'est sûr que même la littérature. Euh, Érotique euh, ou pornographique euh, est faite pour produire des, des images euh, que le que le lecteur euh, reconstruit dans son dans sa tête.
6: And certainly erotic literature is meant to build images that then the reader reproduces in his head.
5: Je pense aussi que euh, il y a j'ai 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 publié il y a de trois ans maintenant en, en France un livre sur Salvador Dali écrivain.
6: I published a few years ago a book on Salvador Dali, the writer.
5: Enfin, l'œuvre écrite de, de Salvador Dali. Et, et le et en fait, je me suis intéressée à Salvador Dali parce que euh, il avait une personnalité qui était entièrement dominée par sa perception visuelle et que euh, toute sa sexualité, c'est-à-dire qui était principalement onaniste et c'est C'est-à-dire principalement fantasmatique était alimenté par ce regard extraordinaire.
6: I was interested in, in Salvador Dalí's writings because all of his works are very focused on, on perception and his sexuality was onanist, meaning he was it was mostly based on fantasies. Um, and I discovered that uh, this. Made a lot of sense given what a visual genius he
1: was. Any any of you others kind of visual imagination question about how you you know how that what role that plays?
3: (laughs) I guess visual imagination has to do with everything we write. It's not uh, only about sexuality. A writer has to have this to proceed with writing, especially if you write with a plot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just want to stress out. Once more, that I don't believe in genre. Like, this is this kind of. I don't even believe in crime novels. I believe in good and bad literature. So it's not about erotic literature or uh, literature describing family life and family values.
5: It's either good or bad.
1: Mm-hmm. Next question.
5: Well, I heartily concur with those panelists who felt that not having men was an opportunity lost. But I'd like to switch this to an area where. Women writers and in general have often been acknowledged and, and celebrated, and that's the area of sensuality. And I was, we've, uh, there's certainly a body of literature that's very sensual that's been written by women, and I would like to know what you would have to say about the relationship or the dialogue between sensuality and sexuality as you're writing it now.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Anybody <laughs> want to jump in? I guess that's the larger issue, kind of how sexuality, you know, the larger idea of sexuality versus sex, you know, not the actual physical acts that are occurring, but the larger framework of sexuality and, and how, you know, how you approach that larger theme while, while you're writing these sex acts. Is it something that you're thinking about the sexuality of the people as well?
3: She mentioned sensuality, mm. yes? Is that yes. right? Sen- sen-
1: Sensuality, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, it goes a typical male meddling. <laughs> from, from, but, um, but yes, it's, it's sensuality. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, then um, I go directly into thinking suddenly French writers like Anaïs Nin or mm. Colette. or And this is the way we create the stereotypes, I guess. Um, sensuality is not only a women's thing. Uh, I don't believe in sexism this way. And... Uh, uh, I guess we feel this way because, uh, because of the stereotype that women is sensual and her sexual life is more implicit and uh, man goes in the bars, as I said, about the North and approaches women. And uh, I, I don't see it this way,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really. Catherine, is that uh, the idea of sensuality, is that something that you are thinking of as well, kind of the... You know uh, since there are there are a certain number of acts and sex acts in your memoir, is there an, a larger idea of this kind of feminine mystique that people might have, the sensuality that a woman has
6: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. less
5: well, sensuality Je pense qu'on peut trouver des hommes qui sont aussi sensuels que des que des femmes. Euh, de ce point de vue-là, je j'ai pas grand chose à dire, sinon que euh, moi j'ai j'ai sûrement euh, j'ai sûrement évité de enfin je pense que ça se voit de d'écrire d'une manière sensuelle. J'ai, j'ai pas j'ai pas cherché à à faire adhérer mon lecteur ou ma lectrice à ce que j'écrivais.
6: I think uh, in terms of female sexuality, I think one could certainly find uh, men that are as sensual as women, if not more. But in terms of my writing, um, I didn't try to make my writing sensual and I didn't have sensuality in mind as I was writing on quite the opposite. I didn't want people to adhere to what I was writing. I wasn't expecting people to live it sensually.
5: Moi, mon, je crois que, enfin, mon projet n'était pas de toucher les gens à travers les sens.
6: My project wasn't to touch people through senses.
7: Mm-hmm. Next question.
3: Uh, with the permission of the women on the panel, I'd like to just ask Mr. Satyal if uh, you think uh, you are asked to host this panel because the content of your upcoming novel is also. Uh, very overtly sexual, or if there's some tie there, if you could maybe just talk a little bit about about that. Thank you.
1: Um, I think that was one of the reasons why. Um, I think that uh, I guess to provide some again a male perspective, and not although not you know wholly male, maybe people might say, but but I think um, I think uh, there is. I mean, I think definitely as a, as a gay writer, there is you know an often camaraderie between a male writer and, and female writers, and and oftentimes the, the kind of gay go-between that we might be um, between those two, those two sexes. I think um, for me, um, for example, in, in my book, I, I'm talking about somebody who is uh, seeing men and women as engaged in sex acts and then extrapolating what that might mean for each of their sexualities and that in many of the ways that men are portrayed, they're often in these very rough ways, in these very assertive ways, and that women have to be very receptive, and the main character is dealing with Eastern images of sexuality being Indian, and so in a lot of the depictions that he's seeing, it's actually the other way around. He's seeing very strong women. He's seeing women portrayed in a very strong light, and so he gets a concept of female sexuality in many ways for him culturally being stronger than it is in in a male sense, and that when he's looking at the male roles in his life who are Indian men most of the time they're very reticent, and the women are are at the foreground of what he is thinking. So I think that there's an interesting thing then happening both dually culturally and then sexually, that culturally he's seeing women take the four, and then sexually he doesn't really know which way to sort that out. Is, it, is then being and a sexual assertion something that is male or is it feminine? And I think by the end of it I would assert that it is kind of both and, and maybe neither if you want to call it the other way of looking at it. But, um, but I think it is very interesting for me then to hear all these perspe- perspectives and to know how much the man is thought of in that situation.
8: Yes, Hi. Um, I think one of you brought up the idea of distance, um, the idea that since women have this, this distance vis-a-vis sex, they're able to describe it well. Um, and I think you had brought up uh, this idea of terminology. It could either be sluttish or um, like a gynecologist way of describing sex, for example. So that's distance on one level. But I'm interested in asking you about intellectual distance, for example. Um, I'm thinking in specific uh, in specific re- relation to Catherine Breillat's uh, since you brought her up Catherine Breillat's uh, films like Romance where you have sex scenes and the female protagonist who's having sex goes into this deep intellectual uh, monologue about what it means to be having sex etc etc now is there a danger of intellectualizing something that is intrinsically so carnal is what i'm saying
7: That's Hmm.
1: Is there an idea of over-intellectualizing sex or over-intellectualizing sexuality?
5: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm I'm, I'm,
6: I'm not going to answer since I spoke about distance. Mm
1: -hmm. I I mean, I think that... uh, Do you ever worry that when people, you know, if they're explicating these sex scenes that you write, if maybe they're serving a a purpose that is just to be isolated there between two characters, it's the sex and not something to be extrapolated, or, you know, that maybe we talk it to death by by discussing it at length. Mm -hmm. Perhaps we do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, Any other questions? Well then, I think that is, uh, oh yes, yes.
5: For any of you, um, do you ever
6: feel self censorship and do you, you know, gender differences, like as a woman that you feel like ashamed of your sexuality or something, do you ever have that obstacle? I think that Can Catherine spoke about, about that a little bit. Can the yeah,
4: Because you yes, yes.
6: can't
1: see very well, it's the same. Okay, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Could you repeat your question? I'm sorry.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever feel self-censorship when you're writing about sex? Do you have that as an obstacle, like, before you write about it? Is it do you have any sense of shame about your sexuality? Where, like, is it, if you were a man, maybe you wouldn't because of cultural, you know, gender differences?
1: I know, Catherine, you spoke somewhat about self-censorship, but any of you think of it as self-censorship or just an editorial choice? Or? Well,
4: no, I don't think I have because... Um, I don't write about myself in a direct way. If I if I would do that maybe I would would have it, but um you know, I don't think it's so important what I write about, it's more important that how I see things. So I could write about someone sitting here and and my view, my my own particular view on this person or the subject in or well, the subject of this evening is sex. I, I think my view on it is more important and the way I write it you know th- than um, the subject ex- itself and also um, well we speak about men and women all the time but a writer is always um, defending the individual you know never a group and um, well that's something I just like to say and also uh, well we are all women but we all differ very much from each other and we will write totally differently so um yeah.
3: To combine the last two questions, uh, I just wanted to say about uh, intellectualizing, that this is a danger and a problem when when we are in literature. And uh, if you explain and don't show what's happening. So in these terms, if you speak about anything and in a novel and you try to explain uh, intellectually, over it, then I think this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and about uh, censorship, I agree with Anya. never had this feeling um, that I should say less or differently things that the hero would choose to say anyway mm-hmm. um, uh, i I guess we deal with these kind of problems when we talk about ourselves directly
2: mm-hmm. i I don't censor myself, then also I don't write about myself, so I don't feel the need to be ashamed or embarrassed but So I write, there's no limits and no boundaries to what I'll write about, but sometimes I I feel that I can get carried away with a scene and I will ask myself, is this pornographic? Is this uh, literary? What's the purpose of the scene? And a lot of times there'll be scenes that I'll cut out because I'll realize that they're not supposed to be there
7: anymore.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) And
3: cutting scenes sometimes it's much more sexual (coughs) than having them there also. Mm
7: (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> with all the uh, explicit sex in the media and in literature, does that make it more difficult to find the erotic buttons to press? Mm.
1: To what? I don't know. Mm. Is it with, with all of this kind of ever-present erotica around, is it, around us, does it make it harder to find the buttons to press to make people actually feel sexualized or turned on as it might be?
7: Mm-hmm
3: turned on but this is not the role no yeah right right but fact. but
1: but i mean maybe if you're writing you know sexual literature and there are scenes that are to be maybe racist do you find that it's harder to do now that people see sex everywhere or that it you know it's harder than maybe it once was <laughs> well
4: uh, i mean uh, for me i can say i don't write to Turn people on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when <laughs> I write uh, about sex, it's more to um, show how it determines the relationship mm-hmm. between the characters.
1: I think it was Edmund White who wrote about his writing that he uh, defies anybody to get an erection while reading his work because it's all so technical and so you know all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes.
5: Moi, j'aurais <laughs> tendance à dire qu'on qu'on écrit pour. Comment dire, contrebalancer, corriger ce qui se publie dans les médias, euh, ce qui se voit dans les films pornographiques. Nous on apporte la correction. En fait, même je, je, je suis persuadé que même celles qui ici écrivent de la fiction euh, apportent une correction réaliste à toute cette production.
6: I think, en fait, as a writer, one writes about sex to correct everything that one can find in the media and uh, all over the place. Um, I think even those of us on this panel that write fiction um, write for the same purpose, to correct that vision of sexuality that the media media gives us, um, to to bring a realist approach to sexuality.
1: Well, that's our time actually, so thank you very much to all of our panelists for being here. Just just a reminder to all of you that all of our writers will be signing their books outside after the talk. Thank you very much.